Kate Mahar is Dean of Innovation and Strategic Initiatives at Shasta College and is also the director of a new project called SCALE, Shasta College Attainment and Innovation Lab for Equity. SCALE has evolved from the work of North State Together, the Shasta County Lumina Talent Hub, and the Innovation Awards at Shasta College. Its goal is to create a place where policy, practice, inquiry, and applied research come together to foster educational attainment and innovation and reduce equity gaps with a spotlight on the changing dynamics of rural communities. Kate has held leadership roles in K-12, community college, and the UC system and understands the importance of helping students and families navigate between educational sectors. Thanks for joining me today, Kate. I'm really excited to have this time together. Thank you for having me, Tessa. All right. Well, I am, I'm really excited to hear about the work that you've been doing in Shasta, which is in Northern California. But can you tell us a little bit about Shasta County and Shasta College? Sure. Um, so, so often when people think of California, you think the beach is in LA, or maybe if you think of Northern California, you think of San Francisco. Uh, but our region is actually a good three, three and a half hours north of that area. Um, and we serve an area, a 10,000 square mile um, region that's in far Northern California, almost the Oregon border. Um, it's, we have a population of 255,000 people across that 10,000 square miles. Um, and we serve three counties. Um, in those three counties, we are the only public post-secondary that is offered. So Shasta College ends up uh, serving a unique role in the region. Um, we're an economic development um, driver. Uh, we partner with public health to do things like vaccination clinics. Uh, we work closely with our K-12s, and then we're, of course, a bridge to our CSU partners and also recognize um, that we need to build programming for folks that want to access post-secondary but might not be able to leave our very rural area. Yeah, so it sounds like a, a, the usual story in a, in a rural area where one entity or, you know, single individuals play multiple, multiple roles. And so Shasta College sounds like a real community asset across sectors and across community problems. Yes, we definitely try. And uh, very similar to many other rural areas too, we're a community and set of communities that have been built on um, economies that were definitely changing. Um, they were you know, built on extraction and forestry and, and mining. And now we're still in that transition to what our future is going to bring, um, expanding healthcare and education um, and growing uh, retail and tourism but very much an area in transition, um, so much like so many of our rural, our rural friends. Yeah. Well, so tell me, what about, what is your role at Shasta, at Shasta College? So at Shasta College, I have a unique role. I'm the Dean of Innovation and Strategic Initiatives. Um, but also because of our unique role in the region and the opportunities that we've had to partner with folks like Lumina and some other um, pretty amazing partners, uh, we recognized that we wanted to sort of formalize um, the work we, we do uh, connecting the college and the community. Um, and then also recognize a, a huge need to provide more of a voice for rural communities. 
um, whether that be California or nationally. So we recently launched an initiative called SCALE, which is the Shasta College, a team and an innovation lab for equity. And it's built very much on our talent hub work, uh, connecting education and community um, education and the economy. And it's designed to sort of hold that space for uh, policy and, and practitioners to, to overlap and intersect. So I'm also the executive director of SCALE at the moment. Well, that, that sounds really interesting. And, and for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with what a talent hub is, you know, I'd encourage them to go back and listen to the podcast with Dakota Pilecki from season two, because we discuss talent hubs extensively. But I think it's really cool um, that a rural community is, you know, noted as a, a national exemplar in our in our country. We need we need places that are rural where people can kind of look back to and point to and help other rural communities um, establish some best practices and, and advance their economies and you know some of their, their social sustainability challenges as well. Scale sounds really, really interesting. Can, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, so we we're excited to the fact that we can learn a lot from other communities. So I think at the basis of it all, scale is about gathering best practices and then trying to work with within our region and then also our neighbors to figure out how to implement um, some of those efforts locally. So if there's a great model that say, you know, Central Valley or, or LA is taking on, how can we look at that and say, okay, what, what resonates with rural and what needs to be changed and what can we learn from that? And what can we try out and how will we know if it's working? And then how can we share some information um, with the field? Um, so a perfect example of a, a scale project is our new efforts for credit for prior learning. Um, California recently uh, launched um, a revamp of their legislation on credit for prior learning that made it much easier for colleges to really recognize what adults bring to the classroom and to be able to sign credit for that work. Um, if you look at where you see a lot of robust credit for prior learning, um, it's usually larger schools, um, uh, schools in urban area that have really solid partnerships uh, with, with local industry. Um, so we tried to figure out how to make credit for prior learning uh, work in a rural environment where sometimes we just have uh, one full-time professor in in a department or or whole departments run by part-time. So uh, Shasta College convenes uh, the eight other community colleges in the far north um, from over probably about a 30,000 square mile area um, to see what we could learn from each other and how we could build curriculum and build best practices that would not only serve Shasta College students, but other uh, rural colleges that were also trying to meet that work. So that's a project of uh, something that scale would do, bring folks together. Uh, by no means do we have the um, answers, but I'd say we ask good questions and then try to create an environment where we can figure things out together. And then the final piece is then how do we document that and share share what we've learned. Yeah, that that is that's really amazing that you all are doing that in 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 you know these rural areas. Um, it is really hard to work together. Uh, it's hard to get folks to work together, but there are so many benefits to doing it. I mean, you know, Southwest Florida, we're a five-county region. We 
we are, uh, you know, sort of anchored by this Future Makers Coalition, which is working really hard to help uh, pilot best practices, you know, identify them, document them, and then scale them across the five counties, but also sort of learn what, what we're already doing. What are we already doing that works? But so what's, what is your, you know, if you were to give us a couple of pointers on what it takes to get folks to work together or a couple, or maybe a great example of a success that you've had from working together, what would you share with us? Oh, that's such a great question. I think the more we can focus on the students and the impact on the students, uh, the easier it is to work across uh, institutional boundaries. And um, having an overarching goal of increasing educational access, um, but having that rooted in the sense of what that will mean. So um, educational access, not just as a mean, you know, as, as an end in itself, but as a means to economic empowerment and as a means to community health and public health issues. Um, a lot of our work started about nine years ago. We did a, uh, our public health department did a study about wellness in our region and uh, uh, life, um, life expectancy and um, health indicators. And there was a direct correlation between educational attainment and these health and wellness indicators. So the public health department was one of our key partners that started this work uh, with our collective impact work that eventually has become scale. And it was all about public health and education as the avenue. Um, so I think making sure that we really can explain why this work is important and what it means for individuals and families, and then what it ultimately means for our, our um, economic well-being in our communities is what allows people to, to come together um, in a different way, because we all care about our students and our families and our economies. So we sort of have the same language and uh, and then recognizing the strengths that everybody brings to the table um, and that there's no one model, there's only the model that works best for you. Um, so really keeping that inquisitive brain um, has, has been great for bringing folks to the table. I love that. So focusing on the student, which mm -hmm. I think we all think we do, you know, but sometimes when you really look at it, we're we're sort of practicing this sort of protection of things that we hold dear, whether it is serving the student or not, right? We do things sometimes, we're not really sure if they have the impact that we want it to have, but we've done, we do them because we've always done them. And while we think we're student focused, sometimes we're not, but if we can level the playing field and it doesn't matter what institution you're coming from, um, but the student is the focus, I mean, it's a great common ground, right? I love that example. What a what a great way to bring people together and a and an effective way to bring people together because if whatever it is is not serving students then I guess you kind of have a conversation about it, right? It's so true and we we all get into the we've always done it this way before and at Chester College we really owe a lot to Kale Council of Adult Experiential Learning. Uh, we use some of their adult um, 360 tools to really see what our institution looked like from the eyes of the adult student. Um, and we just recognized that from the perspective of the adult that was trying to come back to our campus, uh, we made it really hard for them. <laughs> so, you know, we welcome students. We welcome all students. We really want um, students that want to advance their careers. Uh, but do we really? Because at that time, you know, our 
all of our offices closed at five and um, it was hard to access a class that wasn't in the middle of the work day. And we we're asking adults to, you know, take one class on Mondays and Wednesdays from one to three and then another at Tuesdays and Thursdays from nine to 11 and um, make it almost impossible for them to balance um, child care and work responsibilities because their schedules were constantly changing. So, um, yeah, focusing on the students and when we really narrowed in on the adult students, uh, recognizing uh, that we really, we weren't set up to serve them well, even though we are claiming that was part of our mission. Yeah, what a great point. We've had several um, students who are really returning adults. They started a they started a degree but never finished on the on the podcast actually over the last couple of seasons and they do definitely talk about sort of the struggle of trying to fit into a more you know what what folks call traditional student or first time in college student what you picture is the you know graduating from high school and going in directly into college um they they definitely talk about the struggle with that how you know trying to fit into that mold and it being a barrier but before we get into i definitely want to hear about some of the changes that shasta has made uh, with the focus on adult learners um but before we do i just want to ask you what do you know why shasta included adults as part of the pro their priority in the first place, or was that a new priority? What was what sparked the focus on adults? Uh, when we were looking at our data and um, really looking at how do we move the needle on educational attainment, and also uh, really committed to serve um, to recognize you know our equity gaps and to um, address those equity indicators, uh, we realized that one out of three adults in our region had actually started post-secondary ed, but never completed. So one out of three adults um, came to a college at some point with the intention of getting a goal certificate and left without one. So statewide, that number is one out of five. Nationally, that number is one out of five, but in our region, it was one out of three. So we recognized that there was um, a, a significant population that wasn't being served effectively and that if we could target um, that we could really make a difference for the individuals and um, uh, for their families. Um, and of course, the economic implications that go along with degree completion. So just the sheer numbers um, was sort of a wake up call for us and uh, really brought people to the table. Um, and we were surprised. We had not realized that. Um, we are the only public post-secondary in town. We think we do a good job, uh, but we had missed the fact that one out of three of the adults in the region started and didn't finish. Um, so it was sort of a rallying point and a recognition that we had to take a look at our institution um, to see that, see how we could either engage them to bring them back or to even just reflect on why folks were, were not completing with the goals they set themselves. Yeah, it's pretty staggering when we start to look at these numbers. I mean, data can be a really powerful tool you know, we have a similar situation here in Southwest Florida. We, of the nearly 60% of working age adults, so those people who are, you know, 25 to 64, that currently don't have a credential um, beyond a high school diploma, 20% of those are folks who started a credential but never finished. And I just think about 
all of the employers out there that are trying to recruit employees from outside the area or they can't grow or they just have chronic you know vacancies that they can't fill and i think about that untapped workforce that that maybe is just a few credits away and and really i mean how do we make these two worlds come together so that data is so powerful and it you know if communities are willing to really take a hard look at that stuff it could solve a lot of our problems so how long have you how long have you all been focused on this uh, that's a um, great question. I would say in about 2016 is when we really started reflecting on um, the need to work with adult learners. And then multiple things happened at once. We were able to become a Lumina, a talent hub community, which not only gave us some resources, but also gave us access to best practices that other folks were doing. Um, so we really started building what we now call our ACE program. Um, accelerated college education, and really looking at um, uh, the need for offering our courses differently and offering our supports differently if we wanted to target on this population. You had mentioned it earlier, Tessa, um, how many of our structures were built for the, you know, the 18-year-old coming from high school that might have some resources uh, from their parents, um, and we're having a different college experience. Um, versus what we needed for adults that might be balancing um, a family and really have solid career and economic goals and they just want to get there. Um, so we did, we brought a group together and went through a reflection on our campus on uh, when is our financial aid office open? Um, you know, how do students try to enroll? Uh, what hours are we available? Um, and really sort of dissected a lot of our systems, again, with the help of Kale, And it came, became very clear um, what we needed to do. There was this great myth at our campus that students stopped taking evening courses because they were uh, available online. And so there was this assumption that adult learners loved online. Uh, when we did focus groups, we found that the adults turned to online options when we reduced our evening courses. <laughs> so we were reading the data wrong. And uh, what a lot of the adults were saying was we need to have courses at a time that we can take them, you know, uh, that is not brain surgeon, uh, right? That, that's pretty obvious stuff. So it allowed us to rethink things. And we started a program called ACE um, that was offered on Tuesdays and Thursday evenings. And a key component of ACE um, was that we were going to look at clear pathways over two years. So maybe a reduction of selection for the adults, but what we could do was guarantee that if they set aside Tuesdays and Thursdays for the next two years, we would get them, they would get to their educational goal. Um, and to a person, we said there's gonna be less, you know, of maybe fewer options, but we guarantee this degree, they were thrilled. They were, <laughs> there was no pushback on that. Mm -hmm. So, um, it was a hybrid format where courses were offered on um, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, and so folks could build that into their schedule. They could tell their employer, they could tell their families for the next two years, Tuesdays and Thursday evenings, they're going to be taking courses. And then what we did was move it to a compressed calendar. So the 17 week semester, uh, very difficult for uh, uh, adults balancing work and career because life can get in the way, right? You can do 15 weeks of that semester 
and a catastrophe happens, whether it be work or travel or family or children, and you have nothing to show for it. So we did a lot of research and uh, grateful to peers in Arizona and Texas um, to look at um, compressed calendars. We moved to eight week formats. So students could take two courses at once for eight weeks, take a break, take the other eight weeks. And then what that did was also these adults were then full-time students. And by being, uh, by virtue of being full-time, they were able to get more financial aid and they were able to get more, um, more Pell. Um, and then they were only, they were allowed to sort of double down on um, two courses instead of five um, and still be full-time. We, we set up consistent schedules so they knew exactly when their courses were, they could get a two-year ed plan. Um, and then we offered case management. Um, so we, we created a single point of contact uh, for any of the students in the East program. So if they weren't able to, because of work or family, access financial aid between eight and five, our case manager would either find out the answer for them or they would contact the financial aid office and say, I'm gonna set you an appointment with 5.30 at 5.30 for this student, these are some of the issues. So that person made the connections for for the students so that they could actually get online and or, or get um, enrolled. And what that also did for students was give them a point person to talk through things. Um, did they need a financial aid appeal? Did they have a leftover parking ticket? You know, what were some of those barriers outside, um, you know, the traditional things that we look at that were preventing them that came back? Um, the other thing we did for these students is create a solid community of the A students. Um, we started with really formal cohorts um, and we built in a lot of that work of these are the people you're going to be with, these are the people you're going to call, these are the people that are going to be understanding what you're going through, trying to balance all that you are, and this will be your support network, network as we move forward. So um, we call it the five C's, compressed classes, consistent schedules, comprehensive program offerings, uh, community cohorts, and case management. Um, and then we just, you know, we, we, we started the program and um, that, that first session, we were hoping to get 20 people. We got 130 people. Uh, we had to deal with things like, at that time, how do we handle issues of remediation? Um, luckily, California um, changed some of the rules on that. We were able to um, think of remedial ed differently, allow folks to get into the courses that um, they needed to be successful. Um, and the program's just built from then. Uh, what originally started as sort of um, a pilot on the fringe is now very centralized to the campus, um, especially when we look at things like the data of the compressed uh, courses, our eight-week courses outperform our traditional semesters for all populations. Um, and sort of what we've been learning about that case management piece and the holistic support really carried us through the pandemic. Uh, when everybody went online, we immediately turned to our ACE program to say, how have you been doing this up until now? Sort of a big overview of ACE, um, but the story it doesn't tell is how many students, all they needed was for us to set up our programs and the way they could access them. Uh, they did not need a lot of anything else <laughs> and, and they're flourishing and um, they're feeling good about themselves as students. And there's so many students that we get that then want to go on for a BA because uh, they recognize that they did have the skills, they just needed the structure. Um, so some of those students that were kind of carrying this baggage of I started but didn't finish, um, get across that finish line and recognize they are good students and their futures are opening up uh, differently than any of us intended when we first.
got this thing going. Wow. That, well, first of all, congratulations. I mean, those are, those are huge changes, huge policy changes. And I think that, you know, it's easy for you to kind of go through your five C's and sort of give us the list of everything. But I mean, it's really important to take a minute and recognize what a huge culture shift this is in an, in an institution. Um, so congratulations and hats off, hats off to you. I have a question. You've mentioned equity a few times. Um, what did this work teach you about equity or inequity or kind of what did it shine a light on in terms of equity for, for Shasta College? Such a great question. I think, you know, that there's, we always, we always couch things in, in student success and um, what, what this work, and then of course, some of our work with degrees would do and further analysis of data made us really think about, you know, institutional success, you know, like we're, we put so many barriers in front of our students and then we blame the students if they're not successful. Mm-hmm. So this really, really put the spotlight back on us. When you talk to a student that said, well, I wanted to complete, but I only need one course and then you didn't offer it for three semesters, you know, um, you, it really becomes obvious of the unnecessary institutional barriers that were in the way of students and then how all of, you know, all of the institutions um, can then say, oh, the student wasn't ready or, mm-hmm. you know, student had gaps uh, when really students were doing exactly what they were supposed to do. And then we were putting some artificial gaps in their way. So that was a really interesting um acknowledgement and then as far as just offering ace allowed us to move the needle in some of these target equity populations because of the importance of a non-traditional model that allowed um you know different folks to access the courses so um and then by by building them into employee partnerships um or employer partnerships we are also just getting different students um, than our traditional students. So some of our equity needles started moving um, just by nature of the structure. And then to be able to have a targeted way to outreach to folks and say, um, well, I love our our talent hub in Detroit came up with the best phrase of you've changed. So we come on back, you know, and sort of be able to reach out and say, you know, give us another chance. We've learned a lot um, as an institution. Uh, we'll work with you. Let's get you across that that finish line. Um, so that that's when it just you know it all becomes very positive. Some of the initial concerns that we had um, didn't didn't play out. Um, we we're worried that uh, adults might need more remedial support, and they really didn't. I mean, these are folks that had been out of the classroom, but they had often been working in the, their field of choice or with that many uh, fam- family responsibilities, just had a a base of knowledge that we weren't giving them credit for that may or may not exist in an 18-year-old. Um, so that is one of the other huge ahas that we came up with and actually got us into the conversation more thoroughly around credit for prior learning and our competency base of just recognizing what a unique opportunity we have to better serve students when we recognize that they have lived experiences that complement that that classroom learning. Yeah. Okay. 
so so much in there uh i do think it's interesting that you say that some of the things we worry about didn't actually weren't an issue i do think that we make a lot of assumptions about people all the time that that, that just really aren't necessarily gonna even be close to the truth and i'll tell you what we i have talked to um you know several returning adults they are the hardest working people that i know i mean they're they are willing to do what it takes they just need the flexibility to be able to do what it takes so i i love i love all the things that you just said i want to kind of touch on this you mentioned employer partnerships and really that's something that we're very focused on because you know the whole end goal of all of this is to help people get a well-paying job be able to have a career that helps them support their family and really changes a community right I mean, this is there's there's a huge social piece to all of this that that changes lives as well as, you know, the economic piece of it all. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about like some first of all, how have employers reacted to this, this like focus on adults and and shift in the way you do business to better support adults and maybe talk about some about the partnerships that you have? Yeah, it's such a great question. And um, it was really interesting in our region because we don't have, you know, we're rural, we don't have the major employers like you, you see in other places and those really great pathways and pipelines. Um, but we did do a lot of work on what are some of the, what are the common um, uh, skills that, that folks are seeking, you know, where are, um, where are the jobs? Uh, what do they look like? What are some of the history of um, so so much of our region was natural resources? As we move to sustainable energy, is that sort of a common field where we can tap in and help people transition? Um, our healthcare fields. If we can get folks into the healthcare field, they really are game changers. Uh, what our governor called the you know high high road jobs that really make a difference for um, living wage and for benefits. So how do we create more pathways, uh, career ladder opportunities for folks can get in the field and start working. And then we offer a course or two at a time that allow them to continue to grow. Um, you know, how do we target some of our certificates? So folks still want to be in, um, uh, say, fire or public safety, uh, but maybe with a certain level of credentials, they could eventually think about having leadership roles in those organizations. So we have a strong, really strong economic workforce um, division uh, led by uh, Eva Jimenez, who is just constantly working with employers. Um, she's recently launched what she calls Chamber University. She worked in partnership with the chambers of all three counties to ask uh, Chamber of Commerce members what they need in their employers. Uh, in their employees and then building out programs to, to better serve them. We started a new world of work program that looked at badging around key, key skills and competencies. So I think a lot of it is the pathways and, and the skills, but just making sure that the employers are included in these conversations. Um, we recently got $5 million from, um, from industry partners um, to support forestry and, and, and fire prevention and within those um, pathways, uh, better supporting students transitioning from the justice system uh, because they are um, 
jobs that, that can make a difference for families. Um, so just broadening the entire conversation of what's an institutional um, issue and what's a community um, issue um, has allowed for just innovation that we never would have dreamed of when we were all just educators sitting around the table trying to figure out what was best for others. Yeah. Do you find employers are, you know, offering more supports to their employees to go back and finish a, or, or start a, a training program or a degree program? Yes, and I think there's also some really neat things around the credit for prior learning, um, helping them to get that credential, um, after, you know, aligning our career programs with their job descriptions. We have one program, we were hired by Sierra Pacific, um, and then you're sent to the Chess College Welding Program for a series of weeks to get training. And then as they move up the ladder through Sierra Pacific, um, they go back for one course at a time um, for enrichment. So just sort of blending, uh, blending what's what, right? You know, we used to be go to school, finite time, and then you go to work. And now recognizing that those things really should be ingrained forever so that we can keep up with the skills that are needed. Yeah, continuous learning, it's the future, right? The future. That So talk to me a little bit about the credit for prior learning. That's something that we're sort of dipping our toe in here in Southwest Florida. Where are you all at with that? What are some of the things that you've learned? So credit for prior learning is really interesting. Um, is There's just so many elements to that. And I know that there's a lot of misunderstanding around credit for prior learning. And what was really interesting on in our campus was just recognizing how many places we are doing it, but not calling it credit for prior learning. Mm. Um, so as I had mentioned earlier, California um, recently passed legislation um, really shepherded by the Foundation for California Community Colleges that made credit for prior learning um, easier to, you know, easier to implement on the campus. And the goal from the legislation was to make your policies transparent um, make sure if a student comes in with veteran service, um, with military services, current current reformer, and um, with an industry cert, that they could that they would know the steps that it would take to to find out about credit for prior learning, um, and then also expanded uh, what we were able to do. So really, it became another fact finding uh, mission on the campus: who was already offering it and what did it look like. And um, we have a strong dual enrollment program. We've always been strong with our AP, our advanced placement courses. Um, and we've had our CLEP exams were sort of hit and miss. So starting there, we really started the conversation of we're already recognizing some credit for prior learning. Just how do we make it a formal policy? And how do we, you know, how do we move it from the best kept secret to something that's available for all students? Um, and Shasta and Tehama and Trinity counties, the counties that we serve, when you enter those counties, there's a huge sign that says, welcome to Shasta County where we honor veterans. So some of the work that we did on um, our own campus was just to start with that sign and say, but, but do we, right? You know, we say we honor veterans, but you could be a paramedic in Iraq and then come and have to take intro to EMT. Yes. And uh, what, are, what are we doing for, um, to honor the, the skills that they bring? Um, and there's such a passion for our veterans up here uh, that that really resonated with folks and allowed the conversation to happen. 
And then, you know, the, the focus of the conversation is really is how do you translate it? Recognizing how important it is for students to be able to translate what they learned through their military experience or, you know, as an employee or working in their field to be able to translate that into um, their academic coursework was also very important. It was very empowering for students um, to walk them through what they did with that learning, with that hands-on learning, and be able to help them connect that to the outcomes of the classroom. Yeah. So we're working with a, a team of faculty to create the tools that will help in that translation. Um, and it's just been a great awareness process as we all learn a little bit better about you know what prior, prior, prior learning is and what it means for the student. Um, what it tells the student is that we value what they're bringing and they recognize, and we recognize they're not coming as a blank slate. And we recognize that their on-ramp to the educational pathway is extremely valuable and they have a great deal to offer in the classroom. And what we found is the adults are really excited to hear about the third theory that aligns with their practice. And um, by giving them that right to sort of think through those processes and they'll help connect them, it, it's just been a positive learning experience. Uh, we're finding that we had a lot of faculty that had recognized that importance um, before we started thinking about new, you know, uh, Shasta College policies. And um, the work that they were doing to figure out how to maybe accelerate a student that had some skills uh, to double down on an area where they didn't, um, to build in, in, in industry certs um, into their pathways. Um, it, it's been empowering for them to be able to work together on that and make that really transparent for students. Yeah, that is that and that I think it's a great testament to being student focused, right? I mean, we need to do everything we can to ensure that people feel comfortable and recognize their ability to succeed in a in a you know college setting and i think being out of you know being out of education for any number of years you feel out of practice right and in recognizing the value of what you bring to the table is is important and we do that in the workplace right when you apply for a job they they tell you what kind of experience they want you to have to be eligible for that job and we recognize that having prior experience in the workplace has value and it just makes sense to do it in education too so i think that that there there's so many there's so much value to that and i mean boy talking about veterans that is that is maybe one of the most obvious places where where i think a lot of institutions can do better is taking the service that veterans have provided in their role um in translating that back into credit to help them earn a credential giving them credit where credit is due um, to help them earn that credential more quickly and get back into the workforce uh or you know here in the u.s and or out of service and it's just critically important so what what great lessons to learn from and and the time is right for that um because there's other educators, the, the military um, partners with ACE, different ACE, um, 
There's actually a database where you can um, upload a joint services transcript and I'll let you know the training and how it translates to outcomes. So there was times in the past where institutions had to do a lot of work, this work by hand. That's not the case anymore. Um, so I encourage any institution um, that maybe tried to make robust policies in the past uh, regarding um, credit for prior learning and, and their veterans to just give it another shot because it's it's amazing the work that's been done um, to be able to facilitate that that process. And um, we feel very um, thankful to those partners um, on how we get to work together for this for the students. So um, it's, it's a great time to try to tackle this endeavor. Yeah, thank you for that. What a great tip. And and, you know, that that's it is. I think there's also the mentality of, well, you know, we'd love to do that, but we've tried it in the past and it didn't work. So we need to come up with something else. And I think what you're saying right now is a great uh, now is the time to look at credit for prior learning because there are more resources in place to make it feasible. So thank you so much for that tip. Um, I, okay, so here's what I want to know, because you mentioned that, you know, during the pandemic, you had a, a lot of your other programs had to switch to online, and so people came to the ACE program. I'm curious, was there anything else that you learned from the pandemic, um, you know, based on this work that you've been doing? Yeah, um, absolutely. So. What was really interesting when we've had, we have our ACE program, it's got about 380 to 400 students at any given time. And we're at about a, you know, about 3,800 full-time equivalents per semester. So not too small, but definitely um, on the smaller side, our ACE program just sort of chugging along. Um, and then when the pandemic hit and we all had to go online, all of the other departments were trying to figure out how to support students that they weren't seeing, seeing on a regular basis and that um, how do we make sure they get the resources they need when the campus is closed. And so our ACE team really stepped up to say, oh, that's that's what we've been doing this whole time. You know, this is what our case manager, manager does. This is how... Um, Janet is her name, helps folks connect with services. This is what we've learned. This is what um, uh, that what you should watch for. Um, so it became an example of, um, of not only that this could work, but here are some key things that um, can be implemented quickly to make it work. Um, Janet already did a lot of the case management work through email and through Zoom because of the, the nature of, of the student schedules. Um, so we're able to to share that sort of flexibility in what service looks like um, pretty quickly with the rest of the campus. Um, what was also interesting is because of ACE has very individualized support, um, we're able to identify issues like IT barriers or technology or um, you know how to access Canvas. And so we had had a lot of those resources ready for our students that we then were able to share with, with everybody else. Um, because as we all know, the pandemic didn't cause as many problems as it did reveal problems, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. we, um, 
the the lack the fact that people don't have good internet um, just came to the surface. Um, the fact that people needed support with some technology just came to the surface. Um, so it, we were able to get a jump start on what other um, you know some of those barriers that were going to be presenting um, presenting themselves. Uh, but what was interesting because of the flexibility of ACE, you know, it's either hybrid or um, online. The the faculty are trained um, to work to recognize that the students are balancing a lot of um, other responsibilities and that the the schedule isn't really beholden to eight to five. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, that things that things look a little bit differently. Um, and so basically our campus went to that model overnight. Um, and uh, we we're not only able to share share those practices, but we were able to in keep students engaged in the program um, at higher rates than the campus as a whole. And a part of that was the compressed calendar, because telling it, you know, having encouraging students to hang in there for two more weeks, because um, they were six weeks in, was a lot easier than to encourage them to stay in for another 15 weeks. Mm. Um, so we had a lot of conversations around, okay, let's get you through this module. And then if you need to take time off, let's, you know, we'll take off the next module, but then let's bring you back as, as soon as we possibly can um, based on, you know, the experiences that you're going through. So the flexibility of the ACE model not only helps to re retain students, it allowed them to re-engage um, more quickly and then we're able to share some of um, what we have learned with the campus as a whole. And it's interesting to see how many of those things um, might be sustained. And you had mentioned earlier, Tessa, the reaction um, to any type of change is always difficult. And I remember working with our academic senate and really hashing through eight week courses versus 17 weeks and how is this going to look? And, um, and now it's really interesting to hear a lot of those same people go, well, I want eight week courses. <laughs> yeah. uh, I want to dig in deeper. I want to be able to do more project-based work. And um, so it is interesting as ACE, um, you know, continues to, to grow for the students they serve, but we've added mo more cohorts, we've added more um, degree options, and then the, the, the lessons that we've learned are permeating throughout. Yeah, that that is really cool. So basically what sort of started as a side program has now become sort of the program to look at in terms of, you know, sort of the new normal when it comes to higher ed. It really is. I mean, and other people have been doing this far longer than we have. And, um, and we won an innovation award from the state. And we jokingly say, wow, that's, how innovative to listen to students and find out what they need and then deliver it. <laughs> you know, listen. like it's not a putting a person on the moon. That's just yeah. uh, listening to our constituents. So, um, yeah, I but it was interesting how much we had to learn about financial aid and how much yeah. we had to learn about catalogs and how much we had to learn about scheduling and FTE. You know, there there is a reason why institutions um, operate the way they do. Um, but we were able to learn quite a bit about how to to be more flexible within those systems. Yeah, I think that that is, it's so funny. I always tell people, you know, I Future Makers does some of the same things that that you're describing. Uh, we're newer to the game, I think, even that, than, than Shasta. But um, I always tell people, like, people get excited about results and 
I tell them it's really not, it's not rocket science. Like we just made people talk to each other or we asked students why the data looks this way or we asked students what they thought the solution would be. I mean, a lot of it comes down to relationships and communication, right? I mean, changing systems is really about changing relationships. And I think that that's probably one of the biggest things that I have noticed about most of the talent hubs um, is just sort of the way relationships are shifted to get real and lasting results. Oh, I love that. I love that because it's some of the pro uh, the problems we all face seem insurmountable. But if we think about it in terms of relationships, we can do that. And even there's just one relationship at a time, it, um, I, that's a really powerful empowering way to talk about this work, Tessa. Thank you for that. Yeah. So I, uh, so did, did you guys have any trouble with enrollment due to the pandemic? No, uh, we, well, from our campus as a whole, yes, we're down in enrollment similar to other folks, but um, our ACE program, we are also, um, we're able to retain folks, um, but we're also able to invite people back into the ACE program. And if they are having trouble with uh, the traditional model, uh, instead of saying, uh, you know, the pandemic hit hard, we understand, come back in six months <laughs> for your, you know, the September semester, we are, we are able to say, have you seen these ACE, ACE courses? Um, you can plug right back in, uh, take an eight-week course, um, take courses over the summer, and, that you, and you don't have to lose a lot of ground towards your ultimate goal. And what's interesting is because with our ACE program, with the case management, with the cohort support, with all the wraparound services, our success rate um, was higher than the campus as a whole. But as we open up elements of the ACE program so folks can just maybe access one of the eight-week courses, so they could be in one of the courses but not have all the rest of the support, um, those courses are still outperforming um, our campus as a whole. And we think a lot of it is because um, the flexibility that's built in and that really helping students to to knock it out for eight weeks um, is just a more manageable approach than than that marathon of the 17 week um, semester for some right we still the whole idea is that we need to offer both mm -hmm. that some folks are still going to love that 17 week semester um, you know that first year experience for the 18 year old that has a whole different you know, really learning goals around what they're getting out of their college experience, you know, that that shouldn't go away in exchange for this. We should just all figure out how to deliver as much as possible the structure and the framework that's right for, for the students that we're trying to serve. Yeah. Well, that's that's amazing. So I do think that this is the future of higher ed is, is finding ways to meet the needs of you know, the community, not just a single population. And um, it's really impressive to hear how your your programs worked during, you know, a huge national global crisis, you know, a pandemic. So that's really impressive. So do you have any results you want to share? Sure. Let's see. Let me pull up that page. Um, what we know that our, um, so for our overall campuses, for all courses, our course success rate is 73%. Wow. For A students in ACE classes, like formal A students, it, the success rate is 89%. Wow. 
for non-ACE students in the ACE classes, it's still 79%. So for students that are just taking the ACE course, joining the community, just putting a toe in their water, they're still outperforming um, our overall campus rates. Um, we, we, for the spring that just ended, uh, we had 383 students that, that persisted, 100 graduates last year. Uh, there's still 178 active students. And then we have a full cohort that's joining again in the fall. So we, our numbers stayed, stayed consistent. Um, our success rate stayed high. And now we're doing a lot of targeted outreach to invite students that we lost back into this model. Um, so we're hoping to really have a place to say, we've got you, come on back. This was your goal. I know things have changed, um, but, but let's get you back back on that track. Um, and then it what the other parts that, you know, the, the focus groups about what the students feel about being a student of ACE and recognizing their own abilities. And um, even the faculty of how much they love teaching the ACE courses, because you have a group of students that are so excited to be there and bring so much rich experience. Um, so overall, just just positive and um, what what's really unique about the recovery is how aligned our ACE program and our credit for prior learning and our focus towards adult students is for the recovery efforts. Um, as we work with employers, um, we try to re-engage um, re uh, some of those uh, em employees that may have been lost um, as, as sort of new areas open up based on on new needs um you know being able to have a program that can act nimbly and get folks back out into the workforce um continues to to just be really relevant for us and just a really great avenues for students for employers and for shasta college yeah listen being a talent hub i don't know what you think but being a talent hub really just I think has accelerated um, all of us that have had the opportunity to sort of learn from each other in terms of being ready for this moment. Would you agree with that? Oh my gosh, it's amazing because the Talent Hub, it brought together people that were trying to do good work for the right reasons. And even if I didn't know an answer or <laughs> I recognized uh, just how much I had to learn about a certain topic. That group of people were so willing to help each other. There was there was so, you know, let's try it together. This is what I've learned. Don't go down this road, try this way. It, it was such a, a dynamic community. And of course, when, you know, COVID hit, uh, that community really kicked into gear of, you know, how can we all learn together? Um, it's been the most positive thing about, you know, my, my last few years is to have that group of folks they're so willing to help each other. And, and none of this was created from scratch. This is all learned from our Talent Hub yeah. partners and other folks doing this great work. Other states that have figured out some policy issues that make things easier. The work that you're doing in Florida with your engaging employers, um, there's just so much to learn and it, it's neat to have such a robust community of practice from so many different areas that help us on that journey. Yeah. So I guess the the other point that we can make is if if anyone is interested in learning more about some of the innovations that are happening across the country when it comes to 
to helping um, helping increase the the skill and attainment level of of workers, you know, the talent hubs are a great place to look. And you mentioned several. I mean, Detroit is always a standout, and and um, you know the the work in Nashville like the it, their talent hubs are all over the country there aren't there aren't many of them but they are everywhere and there's lots of really great best practices for for folks to look at if they're looking to learn more so well Kate I just want to thank you so much I know it's it's you know we're in completely different time zones we're like on two opposite corners of the country but I just really appreciate you doing what talent hubs do which is sharing your great work with our community and with with other listeners. Um, And, you know, I really appreciate your time. Tessa, thank you so much. This is such a great um, opportunity to talk about the work. And absolutely, what we learned from CUNY is just incredible. I feel like I've been at grad school with our CUNY CUNY partners because they've been ahead of us on a lot of this work and and how our communities uh, share their their learnings and and we would be happy to share anything that we had but we're also really grateful to your leadership tessa and you have such a unique model there and your focus on relationships you really walk that talk and you bring people together to solve these issues um uh, to really impact individuals and communities so thank you so much for your leadership tessa thank you for that we'll talk again soon kate thank you